and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The text is the Holy Gospel. Please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, did you take note? If not, please do. What Son of God Jesus does in the text, he does for you. And he does for your salvation. Yes, for you and for your salvation. He does battle with Satan, resists Satan's temptations. Jesus will steadfastly trust his Father and his Father's word, that he is God's Son, and that he will save the world only through his death and resurrection. And so the text says he is driven into the arid, waterless wilderness, where the wild things howl, the jackals, the screech owls, the coyotes, and who else? The demons and the devil. Adam and Eve, you remember, were banished from the garden to the wilderness after they believed Satan's lies and gave in to his temptations. Israel, you remember, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and they gave in to temptation after temptation. And now Jesus, as the second Adam, humanity's new head, and Israel reduced to one, he goes full tilt into the wilderness to meet banished Adam's children and to settle an ancient score with Satan who tempted, seduced, lied, and led Adam and Eve into sin, despair, and death. In the wilderness he battles the devil, not for himself, but for you. <coughs> you, children of Adam. Remember God's promise in Genesis 3.15, Eve's seed would crush Satan's head. And now it's happening. Behold, the seed of the woman, virgin born, is in the wilderness to make good on that divine promise. And so as he encounters Satan's temptations on Satan's home turf, Jesus does not give in. He is perfectly obedient. And as I said before, he does this for you and for your salvation. He is enormous, enormously famished. He's had nothing to eat for 40 days. And so the devil gets in his grill with temptation number one. If you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Well, that would be easy peasy, wouldn't it? After all, he commands demons. And diseases, he opens deaf ears, he heals blind eyes, he makes the lame jump up and walk. At his command, the dead are raised. I mean, good grief, how easy it would be then to turn a stone into a nice, piping hot, out of the oven loaf of bread. But the Son of God, he doesn't work that way. Seriously, he doesn't work that way. He's the one who made that stone, and he's the one who makes bread. Now, if you remember, when Jesus needed bread in the wilderness to feed 5,000, he didn't turn rocks into barley loaves. What did he do? He multiplied the bread that was already there. Five loaves fed 5,000. That's God's way. 
to multiply, to add something more. When Jesus turned water into wine, he didn't destroy the water, but he added something more. And uh, today, when he gives his body to eat, he doesn't destroy the bread, but he adds something more, his body. The same with the wine. It's wine and more, his blood. Turn this stone into bread. It's diabolically simple. Jesus must have been starving after going 40 days without anything to eat. It makes, uh, <clears throat> it makes any hunger of ours look like a puny care. His stomach longs for food, and that's when Satan seizes the opportunity. He's always the opportunist, isn't he? Always looking for an opening. And a snake's head, once it gets in the opening, yeah, all the rest follows, right? There's a weakness, there's a vulnerability, Satan believes. Yeah, our appetites too are especially vulnerable, aren't they? To generalize, we'll do almost anything to satisfy a hunger, a craving, an urge or a desire, no matter if it's Lent or not. Maybe you tried to quit eating chocolate for Lent. Try it. Or Coke. Now, backing up, do you remember Eve? She saw the forbidden fruit, and it was beautiful. It was pleasing to the eye. It was delicious. It was good for food. In fact, it was useful. It made one wise in the ways of good and evil. And the devil saw a vulnerability in Eve. A tiny little bit of doubt. And so he asked her, do you remember? Did God really say? And so now maybe he can do the same thing with, with Jesus. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. It is written. Man shall live only by God's word, not by bread alone. Jesus quotes the Old Testament, God's word. He'll trust that. Now, I want you to observe something with this. Jesus doesn't use his power as the Son of God. Listen carefully. He doesn't use his power as the Son of God to repel Satan's temptation. Instead, Jesus uses the power, the power of the Word of God. Wow. And that's what we have at our disposal. As we just sang in the hymn, one little word will fell him. So resist him, standing firm in the faith, 1 Corinthians 16. Be strong in the Lord and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians 6. That's the New Testament exhortation. We do not need divine power within ourselves to resist. We don't have that, of course, but we don't need that to resist the devil. We just need what? God's Word. Now, that we don't use it, and that we do not honor or respect God's word, that we rarely take the opportunity to study it, and that we barely even know it, is testimony to our old Adam and Eve, who prefer the devil's lie to God's word. Well, temptation one fails, so Satan's quickly off into temptation number two. In a moment of time, the text says, that means all at once, he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, all the kingdoms of the world, not just the kingdoms of the day, I would contend, but all the kingdoms that will ever be. Yes, Egypt, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, but perhaps he even showed him ones to come, Great Britain, France, 
Germany, America, all the kingdoms, all the power, all the wealth, all the glory, all that countries fight wars over, huh? And kill each other to possess. Sound familiar? All these things, Satan says, will be yours, Jesus. All you have to do, just forget the cross with all of its pain, with all of its blood. Here's the easy way. Just worship me. <coughs> My goodness. What would we sacrifice for power, glory, dominion, and wealth? Huh? What would we sacrifice? I think we'd sacrifice a lot. We'd sacrifice our family, our marriage, our integrity, our own life, and yes, even the Christian faith. It happens all the time. I've seen this as a pastor. So many abandon Christ's church and Christ's divine gifts in the divine service. For what? Oh, for getting ahead, for building our kingdoms, for grabbing a bit of the glory. You know, what's the lottery? Seriously, what's the lottery, folks, but rather another version of all these things could be yours. We're just simply suckers for the deal. And the devil knows it. In general, we'll worship almost anything that promises health, wealth, fame, glory, love, happiness. We'll sacrifice to it, bow down to it. We'll give our entire lives to it. To temptation number two, Jesus answers on behalf of Adam all humanity, and you and me. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Remember, that's where Adam went wrong. Remember that? He bowed down and he worshiped before a tree that was not given to him. He ate a false, eh, just bear with me, a false sacrament, if you will, the tree of knowing good and evil. Adam was not content to be a creature and worship God in the highest way, F-A-I-T-A. Instead, Adam wanted to be a little divinity, a god, like God. He abandoned his God-given vocation to lead Eve and all creation in the universal praise of its creator in the way of F-A-I-T-H. Adam's worship of faith was to be at the tree of life, not death. It was to be focused on the Lord and his word, not on the curiosity of good and evil. And when Adam fell, his worship F-A-I-T-H, fell. His worship went from F-A-I-T-H, trusting God, to, call, to calling God a capital L-I-A-R. Jesus, however, the second Adam, in the face of satanic temptation, trusts what? Once again, he trusts God's word. He gives God the highest worship, which is faith, when he answers, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So once again, Jesus fells the devil with one little word. A little word from the Old Testament silences the temptation of false worship to the worship of God alone. Well, how about a third time? A third time's a charm, isn't it? Sure, what the heck? So Satan takes Jesus where? To Jerusalem. Sets him on top of the temple. And he says, I dare you. I dare you, Jesus. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Now, as long as you're quoting the Bible to me, I'll quote the Bible right back at you. 
Psalm 91 to be precise. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. So see, there you have it. You won't get hurt if you jump. God will protect you, he's promised. You want more? On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You won't even stub your little toe, Jesus. God's promised. You're the son of God. Oh, the father, oh, he loves you, Jesus. And he's very protective of you, his son, right? Who wouldn't be? His angels, hey, they'll catch you if you're the son of God, right? So jump. I mean, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because after all, in our own lives, the home security company promises to respond within 10 minutes of an alarm going off, right? So let's pull the alarm, shall we? And turn on the stopwatch to see if they'll come. Hmm. Or how about this? You know, the lifeguard promises to do what? To rescue you from the swimming pool. So let's dare the lifeguard. Let's intentionally lay at the bottom of the pool and see if the lifeguard comes. Or how about this one? <laughs> God promises that he'll forgive us. So let's sin all the more so that his grace may abound even more. God promises to rescue Jesus in Psalm 91. So be a good son now. Be a good son. Be a good boy. Jump. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, a word of God resists the satanic temptation. Faith does not put God to the test. Did you hear what I just said? Faith does not put God to the test. Faith trusts the one who promises, namely God, absolutely. Faith trusts God. Listen carefully. Faith trusts God, even when God does not respond on demand. In Psalm 50, God says this, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. No doubt you've prayed that a million times in your life. And how'd it go? <laughs> we have all days of trouble, don't we? And we call on the name of the Lord. And sometimes it seems like we get nothing from God. And then we say what in frustration? Hey God, what's the deal, man? Why didn't you do something? Why weren't you there? Why didn't you help me? You know what God's answer is? Here it is. I did. I did. I sent my son in your flesh. He died and he bore all your sin. He even told you it's finished. Trust me. Trust him. Now Luke, at the end of the reading, tells us that the devil left Jesus until an opportune time. Only Luke adds those words. Satan would wait for a better time, a well-timed moment to tempt Jesus, and that was when Jesus was in utter agony and total weakness on the cross. And that's when Satan tried again. He spoke through the religious and political folks who ridiculed Jesus. If you're the Son of God, remember that? If you're the Son of God, save yourself, come down from the cross, and then we will believe in you. Jesus resists. He rebuffs Satan by staying put on the cross. He doesn't come down because he didn't come to save himself. Why not? 
because he's the son of God who came to save you, to free you, to rescue you in your wilderness, in your time of testing and trial. So I beseech you, brothers and sisters, trust Jesus when Satan attacks, when the world and your own sinful nature tempt you to sin. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is greater than the devil. He's greater than the world. He's greater even than your sin. So I beg you, trust him, worship him, and feed on him. In the name of Jesus.